You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Welcome to all of our listeners to this episode of The Zeitgeist. And today is our Lower Saxony uh, election edition. But uh, don't let that deceive you. This is really a discussion about the tendencies in German politics uh, through the lens of the most recent state election, but certainly not limited to it. I'm sure the uh, appetite of our listenership for detailed uh, exploration of uh, Niedersachsen politics might be a little limited. So we'll try to keep this um, at, if not the 30,000 foot level, um, uh, somewhere um, above uh, the low level cruising altitude. And uh, we are joined today uh, by the director of our Society Culture and Politics uh, program, uh, Dr. Eric Langenbacher. Eric, welcome. Hi. And uh, our non-resident senior fellow, Klaus-Dieter Frankenberger. Hello, Klaus. Hello, Jeff. Good morning. So we've uh, had, had discussions like this before, so let's uh, let's get into it. What, uh, what happened yesterday, uh, October 9th, in the state of Lower Saxony, Eric? Well, they had their elections for their Landtag, um, which will be the last, actually, state election of the year. So um, this has gotten quite a bit of attention. And um, I guess the banner headline is the SPD won the election. So the Social Democrats and their candidate, Weil, got about 33.4% of the vote. The CDU had a really bad night. Um, and of course, the CDU and the SPD were in a grand coalition together. So this was the incumbent junior coalition partner. They got only 28.1%, which was apparently their worst outcome in the state in over 65 years. The Greens had a very good night at 14.5%. The FTP had a horrible night, did not make the 5% threshold, so they will not be in the next parliament. That's the Liberal Party, which came in at just 4.7%. And then the AFD, the alternative for Germany, also had a very good night, um, raising their share of the vote by almost 5% to 10.9% of the vote. So it's going to be a very interesting kind of uh, next four or five years. Uh, it looks like there will be an SPD Green government, which was actually the coalition before the last grand coalition. So it's kind of like a restoration. And I would mention one other thing too. So the SPD lost about 3.5% compared to its 2017 result. The CDU was down 5.5%. But what's interesting about the SPD is that they're back to where they were in 2013, actually. Whereas the CDU just seems to be in this kind of long-term secular decline in that state. The Greens also, they had a bad election result in 2017, but back in 2013, they had 13.7%. Now they're at 14.5, so a little stronger than they were, but it really, it's almost like back to the future or something like that in terms of some of these outcomes, at least from my perspective. Okay. Um, well, that gives us plenty to dive into. And uh, Klaus, uh, I I'm going to turn to you and ask, if we look at the national capital of Berlin today and the leaders of the various parties, who is happy the, today in Berlin and why? Well, probably happy would be the SPD because they kept the state premiership. Or the SPD is about on a down downward trajectory when it comes to national polls. People are not too happy with the management of the energy crisis and the inflation not so much with the 
not too much criticism with the, the Ukraine course, but the energy price increases are people don't like that and they blame the chancellor more than and and the greens actually are so they are happy to have kept our lower saxony which is also one of the powerhouses of the spd in recent years are but i would say the whole ample coalition the traffic light coalition is a little bit tarnished even the greens though they show yeah grandiose or performance which by and by and large it is but they have started the summer with something around 20 percent now they are down to a fourth point some they are the winner but are it was devastating for the fdp now mm-hmm. this is the end of the election or election cycle in 20 or 22 and they have not had one good night over the course of the year not a single one they were kicked out of two governments. They are kicked now out of two state legislatures, and they l- look very vulnerable at the moment. They pay the price, the ultimate price for uh, what the people see is not sticking to their principles in Berlin, that they, um, the mismanagement, which was basically Habeck's fault, the economics minister, and also the bad communication style of the chancellor, um, Olaf Scholz, um, so it's bad for them, and you know it will create some more tensions now within this national government at a time when the government, when the cold country faces probably a, a tough winter, a bad winter in terms of energy, the energy situation, and the whole overall international global situation, which is a, are at the, there are tempests out there, and then you have a, a tarnished government, which is not so sure, should, should we go on autopilot or now readjust a little bit? Um, SPD says, don't rock the boat now, and Lindner says, now we will uh, push forward, push for our principles and beliefs a little bit harder. Our example, the nuclear our, uh, domain, keep our the three nuclear power stations longer on stream than the Greens want and so forth. Though it's a, it is a mixed picture. I, th- I think the SPD could have thought or it could even be worse, but having kept the, the premiership, the state house is a good one for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, one remark that uh, comes to mind, first of all, is uh, although it is uh, not let's say is well recognized outside of Germany you know people think about Bavaria perhaps or North Rhine-Westphalia you know the large the most populous uh, states uh, Lower Saxony is a bastion for the Social Democratic Party recently it's the home state of Gerhard Schröder uh, two-time chancellor it was also the home state of Sigmar Gabriel who was the SPD leader for a long time so I think uh, it's important to uh, to note that for the SPD this is an important state and holding the minister president position uh is a big deal uh you know before we talk a little bit about the federal impact let me try to poke a hole in that um uh, in in the attempts to uh extrapolate from state elections i i've looked uh, last night there have been 14 elections 14 state elections um since 2019 and the incumbent has won basically in 13 out of those 14 elections. Um, so there is a trend um, which is the the minister president, the state leader generally wins. Um, so I think that uh, suggests a certain amount of caution um, in trying to draw national um, conclusions uh, on, on the basis of this. 
we're going to do that anyway. But uh, I just uh, want to mention that uh, at the start. Which is um, true, which is true. Incumbency matters. And particularly when the voters had have had enough chance to or appreciate him or her. You know, uh, we, we started off this year's conversation about the Saarland election and the CDU candidate, the, the incumbent prime minister who was new. He was a weak person, no charisma, or you name it, no leadership qualities. He was kicked out by, in a second. So people need to get to know these, or him or her at the helm, but incumbency, authenticity, earned personality matter, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that is the one instance, uh, Zarland, uh, Tobias Hans, is the one uh, instance of an incumbent minister president losing um, an election. Um, but, you know, it's really interesting. If I can just uh, pop in for a second mm -hmm. on this particular issue. So if you read all of the commentary, well, I guess mainly from the left liberal press, I mean, they're not super impressed with Vile, the kind of incumbent minister president from North Rhine-Westphalia. I think the, um, the Spiegel... Uh, called him contourless and kind of this kind of like amorphous, you know, non-charismatic kind of leader. So, I mean, I think what's interesting about the incumbency advantage is it's not just about charisma. I guess it's about familiarity. It's about a variety of different things. But I don't think the Germans are necessarily looking for charismatic leaders. This this is true. Uh, I would then translate charisma, but you, you should have some, a little bit of a charisma, a little bit, uh, translate into he's one who cares, who seemed to care for the sorrows and concerns of the people, but also able to achieve something along that line, not just announces it, but then actually be able to implement this. And so no matter how boring have or others might be in reality is at least if he can successfully you know cash in on these two qualities i just mentioned then he's on the safe side he or he or she he mm -hmm. or she yeah and uh, i think um if we turn back to the, the social democrats did almost twice as uh, twice as well uh, in Lower Saxony as they're polling in the national um, uh, polls right now. They're at about 18% in the national polls. They got 33% in Lower Saxony. Um, even if it's a decline, um, it's it's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's it's a bit of an endorphin rush, I think, um, for, for the party uh, nationally. Um, the Greens, I think, Eric, you pointed out, and Klaus also, you, you highlighted that they they fell from their polling highs and maybe in 2013 they were doing almost as well but i think in general what we look at is uh, and what we see here is in the year 2022 the greens have made gains in in, in all of the state elections especially in lower saxony in North Rhine-Westphalia and in Schleswig-Holstein. Um, so uh, I think that is another major story out of this year, even if they might have suffered uh, in Lower Saxony because of the, the questions about the handling of the energy situation um, and and also perhaps um, unhappiness about the, the nuclear power uh, decisions. Um, so, so with that, are there other national issues that you think played a role here? Because you've mentioned uh, energy um, and the decision to extend uh, somewhat the lifespan of two of Germany's three remaining nuclear reactors. Other national uh, issues? Not that I really can think of. I mean, 
The energy situation is somewhat related to the whole question of gas from Russia. And the gas from Russia question is related to the Ukraine war. And this is the major response, as we all recall, the major response after our um, Russia's invasion in Ukraine in in end of February. Germany, the German government has decided with the support of the overwhelming majority of, of the public are to decouple from Russia, decouple energy-wise, decouple economically, and the, the whole picture, the big thing. And this still enjoys majority report. But then, you know, now comes um, the summer, gasoline prices were are spiking, the, the bills for electricity and our natural energy turn in, whole things get a little bit more displeasant, unpleasant, less comfortable. And then people say, and the, and the war gets now, you know, Armageddon. This was something the American president said. People are a little bit concerned. And so are, there's obviously that the consensus, you see them peeling off a little bit. And the party that rakes in the dissent, as Eric mentioned the last time in our and on our uh, podcast series, are is your RF day? I heard him say this uh, last night. Our party spokespeople said, "No, we don't want to do this. Or we should think Germany first, and we should continue with cheap gas from from Russia." And this sentiment, as I said, is it polled eleven percent in Lower Saxony. It may poll twenty percent around that in Saxony, in in East Germany. Are it is not majority opinion, but you see the disconnect somewhat. Um, growing a little bit, mm-hmm. and and this is something the government, of course, will have to consider. And today, as we speak, Monday, the tenth, or it has come out with the or or its, its its commission has come out how to handle the the gas situation for both households and companies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If if I, can I jump in for a second about the kind of like issue of the AFD because you know I think that this is really curious. I feel like there was so much wishful thinking in Germany on, you know, this side of the Atlantic as well, that the AFD had peaked and it was going to start a kind of terminal decline. So, you know, everybody was, um, everybody had noted that their level of support went down at the last Bundestag election and everybody thought, oh, well, this is going to be a spent force. But one thing that we haven't talked too much about, I don't mean in our podcast necessarily, but, you know, as uh, you know, people who talk about this for a living, right? But we haven't talked about the strengthening the, of the AFD. I mean, right now in the opinion polls nationally, they're at 14 or 15 percent, which is, you know, quite a bit more than they got in the last bonus talk election. And about East Germany, I was thinking to myself when I was just looking at these polls, thank goodness that this election was in lower Saxony and not in Saxony or in Thuringia or even in Brandenburg, because the AFD in both um, Thuringia and Saxony is polling first, right? They're above mm-hmm. the CDU in um, Saxony. They're above the Linke in um, Thuringia, or Thuringia. And they're actually tied with the SPD in Brandenburg right now. So I don't know. I think that this this AFD issue is has, has gotten worse. And who knows what's going to happen in the future, especially if this war um, in Ukraine drags on. So what, what is needed is, and I said this earlier, that the Chancellor, uh, Olaf Scholz, really must now come forward with a convincing our communication strategy, telling the Germans why we do this, uh, what are the costs, are, we, are you guys 
are my voters willing to to pay the price for what is at stake here for us as a country for us as a as europe for us as a transatlantic community and and not not least for the ukrainians themselves and and he hasn't done this real recently in a convincing fashion he addressed bits and part uh, the parts of it okay but not to the he hasn't gone out and or and told the germans a, or the similarity of a blood's red and tear speech. It might come. But let me add one thing. Our, um, Eric, you just mentioned the word CDU. CDU had a bad result last year. Uh, last Yes, last Sunday. Bad result. And, and the poll said people don't ascribe from any competence in economics in the management of the German economy. Now, this is the stronghold, or uh, has ever been the stronghold of the Christian Democrats being able to manage uh, the economy while the social Democrats are good on social justice and welfare issues. Or they have lost this. They have lost completely the advantage, at least in lower Saxony. I mean, in a situation where the, the national government is, is tanking in the polls to lose roughly our 5.5 percentage points, Again, with a weak candidate, with someone who does not really, are you, you, you would, it would not, he would not cross your mind in terms of leadership, and and so forth. It's a bad situation now. At the end of Friedrich Merz, the new party leader, to end up pretty bleakly after he had attacked the the Ampel, the traffic light coalition, day in and day out in recent weeks, it's also not not the nicest mm-hmm. way to conclude an election cycle. Yeah, and to, to you know the chairman, the national chairman of the Christian Democrats, Friedrich Merz, uh, as you mentioned, he also came under some criticism in the last couple of weeks of this campaign for, you might say, flirting with the phraseology and the vocabulary of the far right uh, in talking about, uh, you know, that that refugees um, were social tourists, uh, that people were, you know, exploiting, taking advantage of the the German, um, generous German uh, system for uh, uh, refugees and asylum seekers. Uh, he came under criticism and he backed off from that. But uh, w- what what should we make of, uh, of that? Is that uh, an indication of the ongoing limits uh, for the CDU to, um, you know, to profit um, from discontent uh, about I- issues like uh, migration, Germany having uh, received over a million or around a million uh, refugees from Ukraine in this year? Well, I would say, um, first of all, I think this was stupid, and he uh, basically admitted so that this was a stupid remark because Friedrich Merz attacked the, the government on, on two issues mainly. One is too little, too late for the Ukraine in terms of heavy weapons. So he wanted the government to send more heavy weapons, advanced weapons, which means in German rhetoric or German parlance, send in the tanks, give them the tanks they want, the Leopard 2. All right, so he is not someone, he's of course not a, a Russia Fischer or like others, by, by the way, he's been in co-ops with the Russia, Russia Fischer all his life, actually. In Lower Saxony, there is a the hotbed of Russia for stay in Lower Saxony. For this is a so interesting sociological or uh, or uh, debate we could uh, could do. Uh, and then he's criticized the government, Friedrich Merz. You handled the energy situation badly, knowing that something bad is going to come in winter. If we have to decouple, we have to find out alternative energy sources. Now we get LNG from the United States. First, first ship is about to offload its cargo early January. But still the debate about the life 
lifespan of the nuclear power station is something which he used as a as a as so to speak an incentive to attack the government. The government met amateurish mistakes, no doubt about that. They pay a price for that, and Harbeck particular. But this is where the two fronts now are. Apart from that, I would not say our Friedrich Merz is boring into the into the phraseology of the RF day. The RF day is basically saying our on this war. We shouldn't take sides and we should not send our weapons, nor ammunition, nor nothing to Ukraine. And basically, the Russians had a course because of NATO enlargement. If they carry border for Vladimir Putin, period. That's true. And then they rake in the, 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 the discomfort or people not being too happy, you know, when they see their bills, okay, another 100% increase, another 200% increase, that's easy to understand. Or, and the, when once and when the government does not come forward with a convincing strategy, how they think they could handle this, then of course, all the populists, all their, all those all those who rake in protest movements and votes, you know, they're on the upper hand. But Friedrich Merz, I would a little bit uh, take side with him is not someone he is blindly. He made a dumb mistake. You know, it shows for him that he is not yet at the point where he leads the party in a way that are that is leading to a bright future, but you have a lot of trouble. And uh, this def- loss is devastating at the end mm-hmm. of this year. So well, can I, can, can, can I yeah, give you something Eric, to like maybe ahead. take it up? I mean, you said that we were only going to be flying at, what, 40,000 feet? <laughs> um, you know, there's been a lot of interesting commentary lately kind of political um, economic commentary about how we are, we in the West or perhaps even globally are moving into a new kind of paradigm, right? Where there's going to be more state, there's going to be more public spending, even though interest rates are going up a little bit as well. And it, it just, it, it, it struck me the other day that, you know, maybe that's why the CDU is starting to, you know, lose a little bit of support on their economic competence, because that's not what the party has stood for, especially Friedrich Merz who was what, you know, uh, in the venture capital uh, sector for a while, that, uh, you know, maybe the new emerging paradigm uh, really resonates with what the SPD has always been for, right? Like the social market economy. And maybe there's going to be a little bit more of an emphasis on the social as opposed to the market aspect of the economy. I mean, this is one of the things that the AFD gets, right? They love the welfare state. Well, for, you know, white ethnic Germans. National socialist. National socialist, exactly. Yeah, ah, you're right. And, and and well, and to 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 pick up that thread, Eric. Um, it, you know, maybe that's also the way in which we look at at the FDP. Um, it's not just that uh, they are the smallest party in a three party national coalition, one that has a bit of difficulty in finding its profile in that constellation, but also one which is the market liberal. Um, uh, pro-business uh, party uh, par excellence in the German political system. Um, so that that might uh, you know, and the fact that the FDP has has fallen out of two out of the four state parliaments that uh, they they ran in this year uh, is an indication not just of some national um, uh, national government phenomenon, but perhaps of an underlying sentiment uh, that's shifting in in the German public. Yeah. But I would also say, um, if we are now about uh, speaking about high altitude, look, the, the previous election we were talking about, or that really are 
amazed people was the election in Italy. Hard right, mm -hmm. center right, populist right, form probably the next coalition. A week or two weeks before, hard right Sweden anti-immigrant party for the first time ever are are is the kingmaker in Sweden, and the 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 conservatives in Sweden accept are the Sweden Democrats, the right-wing populist, at the kinmaker. So we see our, our, a shift a little bit in, in some countries. Spain, I could add, too. Our, so what Eric said, said at the beginning, that this sentiment doesn't go away, nor does it go away in the United States, but certainly does not go away in Europe, in Western Europe. In the East, it's a little bit different. In the Eastern European states, they have a, a different political culture and a different party system. Are there? They are present anyhow. But we see a sort of, sort of revitalization are in parts of Europe because of the combination of economic stress, our anxiety because of our the war thing, and that this might really get out of hand, our wisdom of uh, policies by the government, and of course our the xenophobic impulses because of immigration are not dead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're easily to you know bring back again to the forefront yeah you know i i want to pick up uh, uh two things before we um round out our discussion one is an idea that i heard um uh frank decker the german political scientist um uh reflecting on this morning uh, and that is on the one hand this is in a way the end of a grand coalition era you know germany was ruled for you know, under Angela Merkel, three out of her four governments were grand coalitions. And there was also a proliferation of grand coalitions between the center-right CDU, center-left SPD at the at the state level. And this uh, government in Lower Saxony was the last of those um, grand coalitions. So, uh, and, and it will, the next government, as Eric said, will most likely be the SPD with the Greens. So that is an end of an era. Um, but I think there's there's something deeper going on in that too, and that is, uh, first of all, in in several places because of the breakdown in the political party system, you have the SPD and the CDU in a government at the state level, but with a third party that's making up the majority. So so you have um, it's not exactly an end. And the, the second thing is that the Greens are now a central party in the in the coalition making on the German landscape. Uh, after this election, we, the Greens will be in power in 12 of Germany's 16 states, mm. which is pretty remarkable. Um, even if they only um, have the minister president position in one of those uh, in, in Baden-Württemberg. Nevertheless, the Greens are in some ways the most central party in, uh, in the German political firmament. Well, I mean, I think I think that that shows that this kind of like pragmatic course that uh, so many of their leaders have been um, pushing has paid off. I mean, it's it's strategically brilliant to position yourself kind of in the center of the um, of the spectrum. And, you know, the Greens have, I don't know, developed a, a real mastery of being able to position themselves as still the party of like new ideas, new policy departures, but also kind of reassuring enough to, I guess, their more typical bourgeois middle-class kind of electorate, that they're not going to, you know, break the bank by yeah. raising taxes too much or increasing 
uh, spending except on kind of like the, the the transition to a carbon neutral economy. So, I mean, they, they have really played it really brilliantly. Yeah. However, I was reading again after yesterday's result about how, you know, these green victories are always somehow kind of disappointing at the same time, too, because this has happened time and time again, either at the regional level or the national level, that they fly high in the polls. Right. And then they end up doing four, five, six percent worse than they were polling for a while in the actual election. So I don't know. I feel like the Greens have one final challenge to kind of surmount before they're going to be as central as you kind of just indicated. And they have to they have to stick the landing, so to say. And well, they, they, they shouldn't make mistakes in the in the, the final months before the election. They always do a couple of things that are the, the critical swing voter they need to attract center right center left the need to attract are turns off uh it was at the, at the national election last year the thing with the biography of annalena baerbock when people said do i want this person in the in in the in the german white house in the chancery ah not so real they're untested you know maybe they can't they should really write learn how to write a biography and not having crazy omissions um habeck who is a good philosopher maybe he needs some advice to write a then so he uh, learns how to write a law, um, and which helps us. The Greens are not anti uh, anti market, not at all. Uh, they have come a long way. They have been pragmatic. But here in, in Lower Saxony, the interesting thing was it's probably one of the most hard hardline leftist doctrinaire or or um, groups in the country when it comes to the nuclear issue. This is almost again their birth their birth myth their birth narrative. And no, we don't make compromises. I mean, if Habeck had probably acted a what he thought was good for the country on his instincts, it would have much earlier than uh, said than he actually did. No, we keep a couple of, of power stations on stream, maybe until the end of next year, and not give a damn about this state election. Though no, that's the, the price. I would say, in general terms, that the secular trajectory for the Greens is still uh, moderately to the to the north, mm -hmm, moderately mm -hmm. to the north. Now they have some some 15, 16 in my state and has there around 20. Then next time there may be 22 because they attract a combination of different voters. And don't forget, don't forget when it comes to Russia, they are probably apart from the the weapons, uh, except for the weapons issue at the beginning of this whole war and this terrible terrible situation. They have always been strongly anti-Russia. Yeah. value issues, dissident behavior, how they treated the dissidents in Russia, and so forth. So they, they, they don't have to ask for pardon and excuse why they have behaved this, like mm -hmm. the others have done. So they are actually on track, and they pulled it. Or, as I say it again, 5.8% of the or an increase of 5.8 percentage points. Yeah. Um, okay, so now let's, uh, if for people who are looking at the actions of the German government, the national government, uh, what what is it that we need to look for? What can we anticipate? Because of, uh, state elections reflect uh, the conditions in a state, but they're also a barometer of of national feeling and an indicator of where uh, parties may need to reposition. One obvious conclusion would be that the FDP, um, after another poor performance at the state level, will have a strengthened incentive 
to try to distinguish themselves, to set themselves apart from their coalition partners um, in in Olaf Scholz's government. Um, is Do you agree with that? And uh, how might we see that? Uh, or are there other factors we should be looking for that uh, that that will um, that are presaged in a way by this uh, election result? So if, if I can just jump in, I mean, I would say that I'm not sure that the right messages are going to be conveyed to national party leaders, right? I think that Schultz will look at this result and, you know, think, yep, all good. You know, we in the SPD are just fine. Thank you very much. I think that um, Merits, I'm not sure what messages Merits would take from this. Maybe that he needs to be a little bit more disciplined with what he says and, you know, be careful what rhetoric he uses and things like that. I think the FDP is really the party that needs to think the most about how they can respond to this, because like you mentioned, Jeff, it's not just Lower Saxony, but a variety of other places uh, that they've declined. And in the national polls, they're they're down as well. But I'm not sure they're going to take the right message, right? I mean, um, one could interpret this result if indeed national levels are, or national uh, concerns are affecting voters in Lower Saxony's uh, opinions about stuff. You could read things in two ways, right? You could read them on the one hand that the FTP is kind of abandoning its principles in the national government. On the other hand, you could read it as saying the FTP has always been the kind of spanner in the works. I was reading one commentator that talked about how they're a kind of, you know, inner governmental opposition within this kind of like ample within this traffic light uh, coalition. So you know, I'm not sure that they're going to take the right message. And I don't even know what the right message is, because both mm-hmm. of these explanations are equally plausible, I think. Um, so, yeah, good luck to the FDP. Well, that, that, this is true. And I would think our yesterday, a, a lot of SPD people said are they feel sorry for the FDP and they wish they could make it in, into the Landtag and the state legislature. And I felt this was not just schadenfreude. This was really menso. Uh, and this is why, because the government, the national government, only has success when everybody has a part of, has been part of it, and can feel represented in the government. When it's always one partner that pays the price in terms of principle, in terms of party program, and 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 the clientele, their voters see it this way. Then there is a point, and we probably have reached this point now, when our they get agitated, they get mad, they get troublesome, and so forth. Again, which doesn't play well with other voters who want a coherent, forceful, determined uh, group uh, to, that leads the country. I would think the whole government must learn the lessons of the past couple of months. What have we done wrong in terms of the energy situation? I think they will not change track when it comes to Ukraine. Uh, the, the weapon deliveries may be a little bit accelerated, for maybe, uh, but I would not... Uh, be too optimistic about that, but probably this is a is a possibility. The energy situation must be handled much more vigorously, much more carefully, and much more without any ideological baggage, so that everybody can say we did this together. Because this government can only act together if they stick together. There will not be change of force in midstream. I don't think so. Last question then: um, Does uh, does any do, does either of you see um, a risk to the stability and um, uh, holding together of uh, the national coalition under Chancellor Schultz um, uh, out out of com- arising out of this 
you know, poor performance by the FTP, the desire for a stronger profile, et cetera, uh, or is that um, um, an overblown? Well, I would say two things. The first thing is, if again, if you look at the, the national opinion polls, the current governing parties don't have a majority of support, right? They come in at 45, 46, maybe 47% of the vote. So it would be in everybody's best interest to kind of stay the course for now, right? Because the the kind of instability that would result from um, a change in government or God forbid new elections, I don't think that's in any of the uh, governing party's best interest. It's probably not in the CDU's best interest right now too, given the instability with the new leader and everything like that. So I think that for self-interested reasons alone, the government's gonna 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 stick together for a while. I think that you know I was just looking forward to when we'll be able to do this podcast again, and we don't have a regional election till May in Bremen. And Bremen, of course, is the the smallest of all the the German states, so it's not going to be super kind of meaningful. But that would be a really useful time. And to then Hessen, in. my state of the great state of Hessen. <laughs> yeah, very good. But, okay, and, and go ahead, Eric. Finish no, your thought. I was yeah, I was just going to say that like let's see how we get through the winter. If the government can actually get the the energy situation under control, if it can't, then you know we can have another conversation about stability in February, I suppose. But right. it's it's a critical time now. Government yeah. stability, Klaus. Yeah, I would. I'm not so much concerned about the breaking up because out of the three, you would find two in the next government anyhow. So the incentive to lose uh, to, to to bail out of this for a market party after pay or the greens greens i don't see it at the moment mm -hmm. there is a chance for in the next election that the cdu and the greens might go to bed which is other which we have seen in schleswig Colstein and northland was failure but not now not changing horses in midstream i don't think so the spd would call this betrayal and yeah. in a certain that they are right there isn't or could be an impulse by fdp politicians now to make the demands more insisting or more a little bit more angry or our Schultz might wish to handle this and manage the thing or they might try to try to handle and manage the atmospherics um I don't think so much of our of our uh, that this that we will see are more uh, instability on the national level but it you know it government governing in tempestuous times is not that easy and they come from different different angles and perspectives and for the first time they form this kind of government on the on the national level and parties that have been culturally alien to each other didn't like each other too well and then need need to learn this are are within a second and then face a war, uh, which we don't know how will this end soon, not so soon, never, who knows, and, and are at the beginning of the winter. Uh, the incentive for rational policymakers would be, okay, get our baggage behind us, get our inconsistencies behind us, and get our damn mistakes behind us. And there were quite a few in the, couple, uh, in the, in the, in the recent past. Okay. All right. Well, um, uh, thanks so much to both of you for uh, uh, taking us on this uh, journey across the German political uh, landscape. And uh, you know, for those who are paying attention, um, you know, Eric mentioned and Klaus as well. Next year, Bremen uh, in May 2023, and then in the fall of 2023, um, two big ones: Hesse um, and uh, Bavaria. 
So um, things to look out for next year. And you can be sure we'll be following them all here at AICGS and uh, and bringing them to you, our listeners, uh, on episodes of The Zeitgeist. So thanks for being with us. And we look forward to having you uh, with us on the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.